0: Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to find freedom from the shame and pressure of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode with Lynn Wilder and Joel Grote as they and their guests share personal stories and wisdom from the Bible that just might surprise you. We invite you to experience a grace that heals.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. My name is Lynn Wilder.
2: And I'm Joel Grote, and we're your hosts on the podcast. And we are really excited. We're doing this series. This is now episode one, two, three, four, uh, based on Mike and Lynn Wilder's book, Seven Reasons Why We Left Mormonism. And so we're doing one or two of these reasons in every podcast episode. So this is now part four, and we're going to cover point six. (laughs) of the seven reasons. So last time, Lynn, we talked about temples and the fact that temple ordinances are essential for eternal life within the Mormon system, which is totally different from uh, biblical Christianity, where the only thing that's essential is Jesus and faith in him and accepting that gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Um, But you made a comment toward the end that another thing that's kind of tied into the whole temple part is being sealed for eternity and marriage and all that and you said if I remember right I'll let you correct me and jump into this yourself but that Abraham according to the LDS faith Abraham was justified declared righteous because of his concubines and wives and wives so do you want to like go to that quote bring explain this one further because this is to somebody who hasn't had any exposure to the LDS faith this is like, really? You guys are making this up, right? No, we're not.
1: Well, now, wait a minute, Joel, because Mormons say it like this. Families are forever, right? A-R-E. Yes. I think the main reason that people like me join Mormonism out of biblical Christianity, out of nominal Christianity where I was, was this idea of family this idea of Mormons taking you in and loving on you, but also that this biological family is so important that a husband and wife can get sealed together in a Mormon temple, be married for this life, be married for the next life, and all of their children can stay with them for eternity. And that is families are forever. Now, we travel around the body of Christ and I see that plaque up in some Christian homes and they certainly do not realize that that comes from Mormonism and that's not actually true that biological families according to the Bible would be forever. Here's here's how the Bible teaches it. Anyone who has faith in Christ gives their life to Jesus, makes him their master is adopted in to the family of God. You're not born into the family of God. You're adopted yes. in at the point of faith and that's your family now. And that's the family you're going to be with in eternity. You're going to be with this huge, wonderful family of God, biological, maybe sometimes, maybe not sometimes. Right now. Now, here is the logical problem with families forever. Okay. So Mormonism teaches that a husband and wife can have their kids together. The husband can become a god. He can have his own world. The wife can be a queen and a priestess to him in the next life. And he possibly will have other wives. Um, on this world so that they have spirit children. I know all of that seems uh, odd for Christians, but what about if your good little Mormon boys grow up and they get married and they become gods, they're going to have their own world. So physically, you're not going to be living together. Grandpa, grandma, mom and dad. Right. Yeah. You're physically going to be on different worlds. Now, my husband has kind of a sense of humor. And after he left the church, he said, I just don't understand. Am I going to get in my cosmic station wagon and visit my kids at Christmas? You know, how is that families forever? So that whole idea that people sell Mormonism on, this families forever, doesn't make any logical sense in their theology. So uh, we can look at some of their scripture. This is Doctrine and Covenants 132. Now for the Christians who don't know what Doctrine and Covenants is, Mormons have four books of scripture one of them is the dnc or doctrine and covenants and it is supposedly revelations from jesus christ to the mormon prophets these are mostly to joseph smith yes um so doctrine and covenants 132 is a really interesting section wow joseph smith's wife emma was having a hard time accepting the idea of polygamy and about that time, DNC 132 came to be, and I believe he gave it to Hiram, his brother, to go take. Yes,
2: to wife, <laughs> Joseph Emma. wasn't willing to do it himself. He's like, "You're Hiram, you go take it to her and see what she says." Uh. So
1: here's said uh, DNC 132 19. Okay. And again, verily I say unto you, if a man marry a wife by my word, which is my law, and by the new and everlasting covenant, okay, the new and everlasting covenant, according to Doctrine and Covenants 132, is actually polygamy, one man and as many virgins as he can be given. But certainly Mormons today would say the new and everlasting covenant is me going to the temple being sealed to my wife, not necessarily more than one. And it is sealed unto them by the Holy Spirit of promise by him who is anointed. Okay. So the sealing has to take place by a temple sealer um, who's been anointed by the priesthood and whom I have appointed this power and keys of this priesthood. Okay. It says then if you do this new and everlasting covenant, you shall inherit thrones, kingdoms, principalities, and powers, dominions, all height and depths, and then shall it be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So, wow. if you're married eternally by the new and everlasting covenant, then you can be saved. Your name can be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, one of the things that shocked me when I studied this section after I'd read the Bible was things like principalities, powers, and dominions in the Bible um, are demonic
2: realms. Yeah. Yeah. Ephesians chapter six refers to all those as categories of demonic, occultic, anti-God powers that wage war against us, those who are saints.
1: And I certainly would not have been aware of that as a Mormon. Let me go farther through this passage. Okay, And they shall pass by the angels and the gods, which are set there to their exaltation and glory in all things, as hath been sealed upon their heads. Sorry, Mormon scripture is very wordy
2: which (laughs) glory shall
1: be a fullness and a continuation of the seeds forever and ever. Okay, so here's the other part of that new and everlasting covenant. You can have sexual relations in this life, but also in the life to come so that there could be a continuation of your seeds forever and ever. The next verse is 20. It says, then shall they be gods because they have no end, therefore shall they be from everlasting to everlasting, because they continue. Then shall they be above all, because all things are subject unto them. Then shall they be gods, because they have all power, and the angels are subject unto them.
2: So this is, Go ahead. <laughs> so, just, I say so. This is talking about human beings. This is talking about finite people who, if they follow these laws and ordinances of Mormonism, especially this particular one, they now become gods. And and not just gods that have, you know, maybe more power than a human, but I mean, it just said they have all power. They become omnipotent. Wow. I that there is nowhere within the realm of historic biblical Christianity where a finite person ever attains to the level of God because there's only one infinite God, whoever has existed or will exist. So this is a very radical departure by Joseph Smith from biblical teaching. And this, of course, if we want historical context, is when Joseph himself has already secretly married a number of women. I don't know what the count is at this time. We know that the LDS church has admitted that it's probably 40 plus women over the course of his life that he secretly marries, seals to himself. Some of them are married to other men. Some of them are just young girls in their mid, late teens. But he is being found out, challenged about some of this. And so he generates this scripture, 132, gets it as a revelation to kind of justify something that's already been happening in his life.
1: You know, as a Mormon, I would have been quite embarrassed if someone had made this public. Today's Mormons uh, often kind of pick and choose what they want to believe and kind of ignore the embarrassing things, I think, or say, well, I never heard that. Well, I don't know that. Well, I don't believe that. The problem is, you know, the LDS website says that their scriptures are pure truth and that they're utterly reliable. So when they say things like dark skin is a curse or you need the new and everlasting covenant or men should become gods, or the Mormon church is the one true church on the face of the earth with which God is well-pleased. The scriptures also say things like there are unforgivable sins, right? That Jesus blood doesn't cover. All those things are anti the Bible, or anti the God of the Bible. And I think I would have been embarrassed by those as a Mormon and ignored those things and just, stayed in Mormonism because of the good things I saw in it. Right. But at some point, I mean, if they're teaching this and saying this stuff is, I mean you do learn this in the temple. Um, right.
2: Well, and Joseph really Smith is saying it. Joseph Smith is saying this is coming from God. This is a revelation that Joseph Smith is claiming to get. So this is God speaking to Joseph Smith here. Um
1: and it was Harold B. Lee. I think we had that quote a couple of weeks ago where Harold B. Lee says that the prophet's the only one on the face of the earth that can add to or change scripture.
2: Yes. Yeah. So, okay. So the Mormon church is very clear about eternal marriage. is very clear about even polygamy. And to be fair, the LDS community is not of one mind when it comes to polygamy in the future. There are those who say polygamy has just been set aside that when the prophet said no to polygamy, once you get into um, the future, then polygamy will continue to be. It's a new and everlasting covenant. And so even though it's been set aside now, it'll be practiced in the future. I've talked to other LDS people who say, uh, no, I don't believe in that. I'm not going to happen. I was at a Sunstone seminar back a bunch of years ago where a guy was doing a study when some of the stuff on polygamy was coming out and he was kind of espousing this idea that polygamy could be taken back up in the future world. And his wife was in the audience and in the middle of his talk, when he's like answering this question during the Q and A and talking about this, she says from the back of the room, not you, buddy. (laughs) So
1: I I would have, I would have done that. (laughs) Well, but here, I don't know, Joel, from my Mormon point of view, I was taught that polygamy is an eternal principle. And I think it's pretty clear in DNC 132, I don't have my DNC in front of me, um, that obviously the current prophet is sealed to two women and he expects to have both of them as his wives in the next life. When I was Relief society president in the 90s, I had to, it was part of the church curriculum um, teach polygamy once a year in relief society.
2: Oh, it was okay.
1: a requirement.
2: And just for people who may not be familiar with the Mormon teaching system and setup, relief society is a women's only organization within. Mormonism. All the,
1: right. Women, 18 and older in a congregation. Um, there is a, bishop or like a pastor over an entire congregation congregations run about 500 people usually in Mormonism and then the adult women 18 and over have kind of a female who's submissive to the bishop right who's kind of over the women in the ward and I served that position under a couple of different bishops and at the time that I did there was a lesson on polygamy Women hated it. Wow. Um, but they heard it. Yeah. Now, whether they teach it now, I don't know, but it is in their scriptures. And we've got this entire FLDS world. You know, estimates are somewhere between 30,000 and 100,000 are still living polygamy from Doctrine and Covenants 132 in the Intermountain West. And there are polygamy right. colonies in. Um, Canada and in Mexico that stem from Doctrine and Covenants 132. So these are folks who believe they're actually living the scripture
2: that Joseph Smith brought forth. Right. So, all right. So there's two places I want to go here with this based on your seven reasons book. One is what does the Bible have to say about this idea of eternal marriage? And the other is the quote that we started off with about Abraham being justified by his wives and concubines, They're saying polygamy being part of polygamy being part of what justified Abraham. So I don't know which where you want to go with that and or what order you want to do that in, but I'm curious about both <laughs> I'm curious about both of those.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm going to have to uh, find that quote. I'm not sure where it went. But let me go to here right now. What does Bible say? Mark twelve twenty five says, for when they rise from the dead, that's pretty clear, right? Have you yep. passed through the veil in Mormonism and you rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. Someone asked Jesus that specific question. Those are his words. Right. And he answered, um, but they are like angels in heaven. They don't become angels, <laughs> yes. but they are like angels. Um, that, is, that is what God had to say. He explains that we are adopted into the family of God, that he has gone to heaven then to prepare a place for us, um, at least in the new Jerusalem, to prepare a place for us to live, that we are all one big family, but uh, the Bible does not say that we'll be procreating in the next life. Right,
2: And again, from a historic biblical Christian perspective, our primary relationship once we get out of this life into the next is with God the Father directly. So um, I fully expect to be in relationship with my current wife, who is also a believer, but we are going to relate not as husband and wife, where we have this exclusive commitment to each other, but now we're both equally committed. So say, so I picture it. So we now stand side by side. I'm sure I'm going to know who she is, but together our worship and our devotion, our primary relationship now is with God. It's with Jesus and we worship him together and that's how we're going to be. And so that whole idea of marriage and it showing the oneness we have with God, that relationship isn't even necessary in heaven because our whole focus relationally is now, um, the triune God and worshiping and loving Him and being involved in whatever He has for us.
1: So the Bible says that the purpose of marriage is to understand God's love for the church, right? A man must yes. love his wife as God loves the church. It's an unconditional love. Um, it's a forever <laughs> kind of thing, and yet um, once the bride. Jesus Christ comes for his church. I mean, once the groom Jesus Christ comes through for his church, the bride, um, that was the point of setting that up. Just like how we said last week, right? The whole point of the temple was to point to Jesus. The whole idea of husband and wife and family is, is to help you learn to love in relationship as God loves.
2: Yes. Yep. Absolutely. So,
1: so, yeah, we can go to this next
2: one, John. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this, well, just because I think it's helpful for, it may be helpful for Christians to understand why the whole LDS system revolved so long around this idea of polygamy. So up until the 1900s, polygamy was essential for salvation. You you needed to practice it in this life. It's why men took multiple wives and there's a whole scriptural justification in defense of it. So as Joseph is practicing polygamy, he's writing scripture that justify it. Um, and this is one of those scriptures, which is uh, it's actually continues on from where we were before in DNC 132. Um,
1: so do you Yeah, well, let me make one more. One more comment about that having lived in Utah. So the Mormon prophet, I believe it was 1890, might have been Lorenzo Snow, who had who said we're not practicing I'd have to look that up. Yes. We're no longer practicing polygamy. Partly, Utah had been told that they couldn't become a state, right, as long as they were polygamous. It was against the law in the United States. Um, So the prophet, within a year, has a revelation. We're no longer practicing polygamy. got this problem you have all these men who already have wives they're not going to get rid of their wives so in the united states if you're going to go underground you're going to put each wife in a different house and then you're going to go from house to house yes um or you leave the united states and that's where the colony started in the 1880s early 1890s in uh, canada
2: and mexico
1: but here's the thing um When Utah became a state, then they sent somebody to Congress who actually was practicing polygamy. And then Congress wasn't going to seat him. And then the church lied about the fact that he was practicing polygamy. And, And here's what else I figured out in my neighborhood in Utah. We had good friends in our ward and I go into their house and there's a big picture of their family and there's a man and there are there's at least one wife and a whole bunch of kids, right? Yes. And I say to this woman, so who are these people? Oh, this is my father. He was a judge in Salt Lake. And although they had supposedly stopped practicing polygamy, he was told by the prophet that he could not serve as a judge in Salt Lake unless he took more wives. And so this would have been... 1910, something like that, 1915. So I was blown away because I thought when God said we stop, we stop, right? right.
2: Um, no, and there's, so- there's all sorts of interesting historical stuff about the Mormon prophet going out on ships. So they're off the coast. So they're not on American soil to perform weddings. Um, yeah, there is so much intrigue um, and deception going on in this time period. And if anybody wants to research the Congress, Reed Smoot was the name of the senator who was elected and sent to Washington that this whole furor over polygamy. And then they kind of did another restatement of the manifesto saying, OK, now for real, we are done. And then at that point, they really started excommunicating people who did practice polygamy openly. Yeah, it's a whole it's a whole fascinating study. So back to Abraham then, because we've got just a couple minutes um, in yeah. this episode.
1: So this is this is farther along in the same section of scripture, Doctrine and Covenants 132-36. Abraham received concubines and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Now, even nominal Christians are pretty familiar with a passage of scripture that says clearly that faith, Abraham's faith, was what account was accounted unto him for righteousness. So right. it's interesting that the exact same phrase is used here. But you can see then just how, how critical polygamy was to Mormonism and must still be because it's scriptural. And he in my law as Isaac also and Jacob did, so my law being Jesus' law, I guess. They have entered into exaltation, so they've gotten to the highest heaven according to the promises, and they sit upon thrones and are not angels, but are gods."
2: So, a very convenient revelation for Joseph Smith to have, so that he can say, hey, I'm only doing what the great patriarchs, the great men of the faith, did before me. And here, here's God saying that this is what it was accounted to them for righteousness. They're practicing polygamy. And like you said, totally goes against Romans chapter 4, where it says Abraham believed God, and that's what was accounted unto him for righteousness, his faith in the Word of God. I was
1: just going to say in Hebrews 11, that goes through uh, one hero of the faith after another and says over and over that these folks had faith, right? It was yes. faith that was counted unto them as righteousness.
2: Thank you so much. Again, just thank you to you and Mike for just all the work you put into the research of this book and just wrestling with Scripture. Um, immersing yourselves in the Bible. And if there's anything we would encourage, if you're LDS or a transitioning LDS, and you're struggling with any of the aspects of Mormonism, whether it's what we've talked upon or other things, where we would encourage you to go is to the Bible. To open it up, read it with the eyes of faith, read it with the eyes of a child, let God speak to you. Because if you want to know what God wants and how God's working and how he wants to have a relationship with you, it's there and that'll be the quickest way to get some of this sorted out and so the truth um, so you can be brought into just greater truth and intimacy with god which is what we want for you as a listener of this podcast whoever you are
1: amen Joel. and you know if i have seemed harsh um i think at the beginning of this series sometimes i was a little harsh i apologize um these were things that i struggled with as I read the Bible. I pray that you will look up evidences for why you can trust the Bible, and then just open it and read it. It's an amazing uh, book, and it is faith uh, that will be counted for your
2: righteousness. Amen.
1: Grace and peace to you, doll.
2: Until next time, Lynn. So long.
0: Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. You can find show notes and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. We would love to hear how the podcast has helped you. We are so grateful for you, our listeners, and the donations that keep us on the air. To say thank you, we are offering a free gift with a donation of any amount just go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the free gift button to get yours. Thanks for joining us on the Unveiling Grace podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals.